Leader Talk. 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 Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Dawson. Welcome to Leader Talk. This show is proudly brought to you by Brainiac. Each week we are meeting with incredible leaders from around the world to discuss all things leadership and business insights. Each person coming on this talk show has given up their valuable time for one very clear purpose, to give back to small and medium business owners. Now, we all want to do our bit for the planet, but how do we prepare our business for this sustainability journey? Where do we even start? Today, my co-host, CEO of Peerlight, Gus Arianto and I, are fortunate to chat to our guest speaker, Mike Spakovsky, founder of Sustainability Revolution. Mike is one of Australia's most recognised and awarded creative leaders and has spent the last 25 years developing highly memorable and effective ideas in the world of advertising. Mike is the former National Chief Creative Officer at Saatchi and Saatchi Australia, where he led the company to be Australia's most awarded agency. Mike is currently ranked number one Chief Creative Officer in Asia Pacific and the seventh most creative CCO in the world. Mike is here today to help us begin our sustainability journey while teaching us about the importance of creative branding and marketing for business. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Natalie and Gustav. It's great to be here and thanks for that incredible introduction. Um, I wish you could read that to my mother. I think she'd really appreciate it. <laughs> Mike, that was a tough introduction. We're gonna, You are going to expand on this and for our listeners, that is only a small snapshot of the incredible awards uh, boards that Mike's on, uh, yeah, you will tell us more about it. So, and, and this is why we, this is why we like you, Mike. You know, we we introduce you as one of the world best, <laughs> and we we thought you will be quite formal, and then you bring the topic <laughs> how we can sell this to your mom. We love you, Mike. Thank you for donating your time. <laughs> Pleasure. <Thank> you. Pleasure. <laughs> and Mike, we always begin our show with two fun questions that we ask our guests, and the two we have for you. The first one is. What is the best book you have ever read? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I've, I've kind of got three. <laughs> I can't really do one. I think the actually the best book I've, I've ever read must it was definitely Sapiens by Yuval Harari, which I have this fascination with human behaviour um, and it just just understanding how humans have evolved over, you know, from Sapiens to, to where we are today is just blows my mind. And then probably the, the next one that was, again, very similar and, and, and linked um, was a book called Breath by James Nestor, which um, teaches you about the dangers of breathing, breathing through your mouth. And I've since never really, ever since reading that book, I stopped breathing through my mouth. Um, and you said, you just, it's one of those books you just need to read to understand what I'm talking about. But when you read it, it will blow your mind on the health benefits and the performance benefits of actually breathing through your nose, which is why your nose is actually there. Um, uh, and then the, the final book, which I'm reading at the moment, which again is, is actually very relevant to all of us. Um, and, everyone on, on on the call um is a book called stolen focus by johan hari and it actually teaches you and it goes into deep um studies about how distracted we are as humankind due to technology and how inefficient we have become in everything that we do because of the constant distractions whilst we think we can multitask 
multitasking is a term that was derived from computer processes in the 60s uh, and applied to humankind, but we can't multitask. No matter how much you think you can, um, you just can't and you become incredibly inefficient uh, and you lose focus. So it's a really big problem and technology has a lot to do with that. So they're my my three, but my latest one probably my favorite at the moment because it's just doing my head in what was that last one called mike sorry i always add these no no it's called stolen focus by johan hari um it's it's really interesting and and if you've got children it's a must um it's a must read uh yeah no that is a good one added to the list okay if you had a time machine would you go back in time or into the future i really wanted to ask you this one Really simple. I'd go right into the future because then I would learn all of the mistakes that we've made and then come back and just prevent them from happening. You know, it's just so simple because you look at where we are today and you think far out. Look at look at all the look at all the things that we have done that we never knew we were doing. And we think we're doing something good when in fact we're not. Because we don't know yet. We haven't worked out that it's bad because we can't see that far forward. So um, especially when it comes to thing the, the topic of today, which is around, you know, sustainability, you know, in particular environmental, um, you know, if we knew coal was going to do what it's doing, you know, at the beginning, we probably would have never started with it. Um, and just like current technologies that are being created, uh, there's actually major issues with even all the brilliant things that are happening with EV, solar panels, and there's so many issues that are actually in them but we're hopefully rectifying them. So if you could fast forward to, you know, 20, 30 years from now, I think you'd learn a lot and then come back and go, no, we shouldn't actually start solar. We should start this new thing because it's going to rectify things. So, yeah, that's how I do it. Brilliant answer. And, you know, I mentioned before to the audience that was a really brief introduction that I gave of Mike. So, Mike, I'm going to hand it over to you. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself and your amazing career and your new business, relatively new. I think you've been in it for a few months now. Oh, yeah, it, it's really fresh. Um, look, my, my, my history is pretty simple, whilst it might sound complex. I'm, I'm a creative guy. I'm an ideas person. I think I've always been like that from, from even being a child. Um, and I started in design, um, a graphic design, uh, as, a, as a young, young little lad. Um, but I was always, you know, thinking about, things, fixing things, making things, you know, making one thing do many things. And as you know, innovation and ideas and technology, a lot of people say there's nothing really new. It's a combination of one and two that makes something new or one, two and three um, because we've progressed so far that what we do is we combine things. Um, And I think for me that's probably how I started thinking even way back when I was young and, you know, advertising was one of those jobs I fell into because it was creative. You know, I used to look at sort of cornflakes boxes and packaging in stores and then I'd connect them to TV and print and go, wow, this is really cool. Who does this? Um, and I kind of just sort of went in reverse. I went from like, you know, I even did pre-production, uh, pre-press, graphic reproduction, which is a, a trade that no longer exists and that taught me a lot. And sort of went from the printing factory. I remember working in a printing factory and watching these boxes get chopped up and glued together. And I kind of came in through the back end of that 
and ended up going right up the other way. So in reverse and then went up into, you know, the the one who the guy who writes the ads, you know, for the, or the guy who actually creates those brands, um, helps, you know, physically create a brand. Uh, and it was an amazing experience and an amazing journey um, of, of really uh, just trying to understand. It was really a journey. Like I sort of found something that I wanted to, follow and work out how it how it worked to then it getting you know advertising you know we, we spoke about this uh, earlier um around how advertising i think uh, there's a misconception around advertising um when i think of advertising as a term i kind of hate it because it chases me around the internet and, it, and no matter where i go it's there um and i think advertising is annoying um is in, you know intrusive it can be everywhere but there's some pretty amazing stuff that happens in, in the world and the business of advertising, which is, um, you know, innovation, uh, solutions for really big brands, you know, around products, you know, creating new products, creating those innovations that come with that, creating big brand acts uh, along the way that, you know, inspire people to, you know, get behind something and make a change or, you know, help the less fortunate so I think in a nutshell, that's sort of where my career evolved to. And as you mentioned, you know, my, my most recent job was by far one of the best jobs I've ever had and was very lucky. It was a dream of mine to work at Saatchi and Saatchi. Um, and when I got that job about nine years ago, um, I was beside myself uh, that I'd finally got the the big CCO gig at Saatchi and Saatchi Australia and couldn't believe it, to be honest, Um I was quite surprised they gave it to me, um, and uh, and then had the probably the best time of my life um, working there around some of the most amazing people, amazing clients. Uh, you know, working on brands like Toyota uh, nationally. Uh, you know, um, and so many amazing brands uh, along the way in all categories, um, and learning a lot, but really helping those brands make some significant changes and do some great work you know, like Land Cruiser Emergency Network for Toyota, uh, you know, was like a, a great idea. Would I sort of look at, you look at it, we, we advertise vehicles, but then why are we as a company, Saatchi and Saatchi, creating a telecommunications network for a car company? And that's because we're solving a problem. So what we do, to give you an example, is Toyota create a vehicle that can go anywhere. In fact, it can go anywhere it can take you to the ends of the earth and back, essentially, a Toyota Land Cruiser. The reality is when a, when a brand like that creates something so amazing that can take you anywhere, but then when you get there and you can't communicate with anybody, um, it's actually a risk for that brand because they're actually giving you something that takes you somewhere where there's no comms. So what we do is we that's the problem for us. We're like putting our drivers to a degree. Not, we're not physically putting them in danger, but where our, our product is is taking them anywhere, but there's no communication. Telstra can't supply it. Optus can't supply it. Satellite phones don't work because you have to be in line with it. Plus, if there's cloud cover, it doesn't work. So we went, how can we create it? Uh, how can we create communications? And we deal with professors in universities, uh, start talking to remote specialists in communication, and we find a way that we can actually create a, a mobile mesh net communication network that's a pop-up that can go anywhere that's in every Land Cruiser. And they just connect to each other using phenomenal technology from NASA, 
um, and and all sorts of other things, and even going back to you know old technology. You know, we we took we took radio frequency, which is you know a hundred year old technology, um, and we piggybacked uh, Wi-Fi on it, and we took Wi-Fi, which as you would know only travels say like a hundred meters, but we threw it twenty five kilometers because we we it's but we threw Wi-Fi on the back of radio frequency, so we hacked it. And we could throw Wi-Fi 25 Ks, which would be amazing if you could put that in your home, right? Because you could you could actually service everybody. Um, but uh, that that's the sort of stuff that I love. You know, it's where I'm dealing with people who are so smart, and I'm learning so much about things that I have no idea about. But then that takes me into a completely different world of exploration and excitement and interest. And- even further right so that and a combination of many other ideas which you've seen like earth hour back in 2007 you know 16 billion supporters worldwide now still going um started in sydney with two million people um most recently donation dollar where we minted a brand new coin currency in australia uh to help uh, a simple coin that is designed to be donated and not spent so when you find it in your hand you know, give it to someone, put it in their hat, you know, their guitar case or, you know, in their hand or drop it into a donation uh, donation um, bin, right? Uh, these are ideas that are all generated from care and help and support and to a degree are sustainable, are in that world of sustainability because they're about improving society, uh, improving the environment, um, and these are the things that over my career led me to actually, I don't want to do anything else. I just want to work on work like this. I just want to focus on doing work 100% in this field as opposed to um, also making all those other ads. I just don't think I need to be doing that. I want to focus and put all my energy in doing good for both planet and humanity um, and, and use all my skills and knowledge that I have and I've learned and all the people that I know and have connected to to actually drive in the same direction and help inspire uh, Australia and the world to just do better um, in those areas. That's really it. That's what Sustainability Revolution is. It's, it's me and a bunch of amazing people who are wanting to work with great brands and great people to just do more good. Um, and amplify great products, great services, things that are actually doing positive change or making positive change as opposed to just consumption, you know, just a product of, with no re- real reason in it. Mike, I have a question for you before we get into really the, 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 the depth of sustainability revolutions and what is sustainability all about, what does what that really mean for small and medium business? When you describe your story from when you are still very young, uh, expose yourself to uh, uh, a basic advertising, you know, you see the box of conflicts, TV, to creating mega advertising. Uh, remove the word advertising. I just want to touch the creativity mind of you and your team, including now with your new company, Sustainability Revolutions. You are surrounded by creative people now. I wanna I wanna compare it. I'm a I'm a owner of a cafe. I just say I'm not creative, my guy. I just know how to make steak sandwich. 
right? How do I push myself so I can have creative mind? What kind of in your in your uh, experience? Can you share with us the typical personality of creative per- person? How can we, you know, mom and dad, small business owner, learn every day from the day from the time we wake up, so we can be creative, and we 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 can we can improve our creativity every day. Mm. Uh, it's a it's a really good question. It's quite a big question, actually, um, but a good one. The I think there's different levels of creativity, uh, you know, in terms of how far you can go. Like to be able to come up with an innovation requires a real understanding and depth. But I think if you come back to the basic point where you go, I run a sandwich shop and you're running a sandwich shop and you think, how can I be creative? How can I really stand out? and make my business actually have a personality. And I think you just got to come back to you and go, um, what is my purpose and what is my point of difference, right? So come back because essentially the sandwiches that you're making and selling are clearly good because you actually have a store or you have a shop and you have a bit of a market and people are coming there. So therefore you're already doing something. You're relevant. But if you really want to like expand, grow, or create more. I think you've got to dig deep within yourself and find that thing that you do that's really, really unique and really special. And you might find that where it goes, it goes all the way back to being a little kid, watching your mum and dad or whatever make these amazing sandwiches. And it was the way that you made those sandwiches in a really authentic, traditional way. It was mama's recipe, dad's recipe. It was something connected to your culture. And suddenly you start to go, okay, we're really unique because it's this, it's the way we layered the bread, uh, the sandwiches that makes it unique and the way the palate and the tongue touches the bread versus the mayonnaise versus the ham. If you flip it, it probably tastes different. And there's something, right? So I think everyone can be creative in that sense because the product that they're selling or the business that they have, whatever it is, it comes from them. So I think you always have to look into you and go, well, why are people buying me and why are people using me? They clearly like me. So why don't I try and expand on that and try and make it really unique? Um, that's where I would start is just come back to your purpose, your vision, you know, and the thing that really – I always kind of – it's like one thing brands really need is to be really unique and to have a story because, you know, how many times do you see – you go research online and you see so many – so many companies that sell the same product say the same thing. And you don't, you actually don't, you, you don't know what to pick up. And what you do is you naturally look for the unique thing. So you research and you're like going, what stands out to me? And soon as something stands out and it looks interesting and it sounds interesting, it's actually interesting. So you, you're lured towards it because it's different. It's unique. But if you become vanilla or gray, like everybody, you're actually just going to stay there. So find your unique point of view, your unique, um, you know, insight about yourself and your business um, and just try and make it like super unique and super fresh regarding you and, and that's where you go. And then I get from there, you just evolve. 
like I said, there's different levels of creativity. I think there comes a point where you have to hand over the creative to those people. Like I, I take my job to a certain point and then I go, okay, you're the design specialist. I need you to do that. You're the amazing copywriter. You need to do that. You're the great filmmaker. You do that. You're the data guy. You do that. Um, so you always have to know that you can't do everything. And sometimes that's the, the a lot, I think a lot of businesses make the mistake where they're, a, let's just say they're a chef and a cook, but now they're writing ads. No, because I'm, I can write ads, but I can't be a chef. So you just have to accept the fact that there's other professions out there that are good. And when you feel that your idea is amazing um, and you're stubborn about it and you don't care what people think, it's highly likely that it's rubbish um, and it's actually going to do you damage. So I think getting professional opinions uh, from from people who, uh, as we say, are paid to do that is always critical. If you can't afford it, um, there's always ways of finding people who can help, you know, Um so yeah, there's a there's a little barometer of research. I think yeah. So am I right to summarize that that number? I I love when you say it about purpose because uh, once I read a book. I can't remember the book, but they said if everyone in the world run their business the way they chase their first love, that business will be winning. Their yeah. business will be winning. You yeah. will have thousand ideas how to deliver that first letter yeah <laughs> you know yet when we run a business we uh, we collapse on the first rejections and so you start with the purpose and then you said finding help required open minds i think you can't find help if you're not open minds i mean uh, you end up talking but you're not listening and being curious is Correct. the other thing isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I was listening to that and I'm just thinking all our listeners are just going, we need Mike on our team. <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah. The way you think and the way you just explained it, because, you know, it is quite hard to be creative, especially, you know, for, a, 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 I guess, a carpenter on the tools or a chef who's busy in the kitchen. You don't have that time to actually dedicate to what it takes to actually be creative so you're right, like when you mentioned that, you know, it's okay to ask for help or, you know, it's okay to get someone else to do it. Yeah. I mean, I can renovate houses and I've done many of them, but I don't do them well. And when I get a professional to do them, it's amazing. Um, you know, like I, I think we all like to think we can do a lot. And I think creativity has become more accessible for a lot of us because of technology and, you know, social media and whatnot. But it doesn't mean that what you're doing is is amazing. Um, you've just got to really get advice. I I've, I think Gus, as as we we're talking, it just reminded me of like you know where I I see a lot of brilliance is when you look at those uh, TV shows that happened in the states around the you know those food trucks, and you know how the food trucks have taken off, and you look at these these families right, these owners of these food trucks that come from nothing like nothing, poverty, but they have this amazing way they cure the meat, you know, or they make something such a unique way and they just sell that, you know, the history of their grandfather and or grandmother and the way they made that cured that meat and that's what makes it unique and they build the whole thing. They get a logo of their grandfather or their grandmother. They call it grandfather, granddad, mamas, and they just stick to that and they go, that's what we're selling because that is our unique proposition our unique point of view that is what's going to stand out from everybody else 
Um, and it does because people go, actually, I want to try this 150-year-old cured meat sandwich, um, you know, because that's the unique part of it. So some people just don't realise that that's actually the benefit for the consumer. It's that story. Find your story. It's great. And while we're still on this topic, because then once we're talking about sustainability, I know we're going to run out of time because there's lots of questions there. But I just want to ask you about, you know, we've seen so many online-only businesses just absolutely bloom. Like it's, you know, purely an online presence. How, from your perspective and everything you've done, this whole social media, how important is it for all businesses to actually embrace social media to take it on board because we have discussions with people that you know even recently I had a chat to someone 17 years in the business they don't have a website yet so we're embarking on the yeah exactly my reaction you know they get to a point you know the leads kind of stop but they have no online presence what is your advice to those that are not yet online um you are losing a lot of business um by not being, you're not playing in the world. If you, there's a lot of stubbornness that happens. A lot of people don't want to change. And I think it really, if for those of you who haven't seen it, I advise watching a show on Netflix um, called The Playlist, which is about Spotify. Um, and you will understand what happens when stubbornness in a business like the music industry at the time, they failed to adapt. So I think the biggest thing is you need to adapt to society as it evolves around you. And a lot of us that are traditional, we go, oh, no one's going to take. Social media is not going to take off. You know, it's not going to work. I've never used it. It doesn't work. My business is fine. Problem is your business is fine until all your clients start seeing all these other businesses that they never saw before online. And they start seeing all these opportunities and they start seeing competition. Meanwhile, your competition has embraced technology, has embraced social media, is marketing for free or at a minimal cost now, and you, you're going, no, I'm sticking to word of mouth, I've got great clients, but now they're going, hold on, I've seen a lot of other businesses now that are popping up left, right and centre. Actually, and they're actually really well priced and they've got a great brand and they've got um, reviews. Look at all these people talking about how amazing they are. Look at all these photos of all these excellent jobs they've done. Suddenly your business starts shrinking. So I think if you don't adapt to uh, the industry or society in that way, you're actually you're not going to survive. It's actually proven. It's You're not going to survive. You, you will only retain where you are with your loyal customers, but even they will start drifting. So I highly advise you to embrace the market, the tools that are put in front of you in order to grow your business. Um, and, a, and a website is not expensive. It's so cheap now to create. You can actually create it yourself if you want. There's lots of platforms out there. So, yeah. But, yeah, check out that, that um, the playlist uh, Spotify story and it will actually make you understand. Give, for those, you only have to watch a few episodes. You don't want to watch it all, but it'll, you, you'll see what was going on and, a stubborn industry, music industry that wasn't willing to change and embrace, um, you know, uh, you know, streaming media. What's funny about all this, Mike, um, sometimes the, the lines between the stubbornness of uh, some business owners, whether they want uh, to have social media or not, not necessarily they don't want it. They could be just literally busy and lazy in investing further of their time. The reality is I think by now uh, I could be wrong here. I think people agree 
that in the absence of branding and social media presence, uh, it will be very difficult to compete because every original ideas that we thought uh, is available on the internet today. Absolutely. I, I can give you fact, right? And this is true. So during the recession, the brands that advertised heavily, that doubled down. So those big companies that we were sitting at home watching TV and during COVID, right, the beginning of COVID, every brand that doubled down in marketing, because a lot of people pulled out, they're like, oh, wow, world's going to change. We're in trouble. We're all going to fail. Um, let's retract our communication. Let's retract our marketing, right? doesn't make sense because you're about the thing, things are struggling. Like you're in, everyone's worried. People aren't moving and everyone's retracting. But if you're a business, you have to survive. So there's no point stopping, right? The, the thing is you've got to keep going. And the businesses that actually doubled down and actually took a punt, and it, the word punt's not appropriate, but they invested in, they actually grew when others failed because of their marketing and their promoting of their business and their confidence. So confidence is a big deal. When markets are, when markets or industries are flat, but you seem confident as a business, you make people confident in themselves to continue. And that's how we get out of things. So this is all proven. It's all written um, as data information out there for people. You research it online, you'll find it. So, yeah, it's important to always communicate, to not be lazy. If you want to grow your business and you want your business to be successful, communicate. It might be in little simple ways that are really cheap and easy for you to do, but just do them. The worst thing you can do is be quiet. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree there. And you're right with the COVID. I even remember like the innovation that came out of some, you know, restaurants that went ahead and they were doing deliveries. They've never done that before, but they were, you know, I even, you know, saw uh, there was someone that was offering picnic hampers when we were allowed to go back outdoors, you know, that were a restaurant, but people couldn't come to them. So, hey, pick up your picnic hamper. That innovation and the ads that were going out about it. Yeah, they, re- they you'll never forget those. No. It was, it was actually 100% right. Businesses innovating in order to kind of progress, which is brilliant. Like that's where you start to see, I think, humanity at its best, where they're like down, but they start thinking, how do we survive? How do we grow? And they've done so well out of it. Completely agree. I am going to switch this talk to sustainability because we were going to start with that, but we got straight into the marketing, which we could talk about for the whole hour, Mike. It's just really, you've got so much to offer, but I also know how passionate you are about sustainability. It's a topic that Gus and I really want to learn about from you as well, and I'm sure our audience does. So if we take it right back with sustainability, when we so that they understand, so the audience understands when we talk about sustainability in business, what are we actually referring to? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question because it's just, the word sustainability is such a buzzword at the moment. Everyone's talking about it, an awful good cause. There've actually, there's a couple of different there's a couple of different points of view, right? I think a lot of what we were talking about is actually incorporated in sustainability, right? It's about success of your business. It's you know making your bit. But I think in general, to really kind of unpack it, and and I have put some notes here um, just so. I, you know, it's clear and crisp for people. Um, you know, what, when we talk about sustainability in business, what we're actually referring to is it's about asking yourself the question around what does this business need to do to ensure long-term sustainable impact across its staff, right, clients, culture, diversity, inclusivity, innovation with your products and services, 
um, impact on the environment and carbon footprint. So in general, that's how you frame sustainability. Sustainability is about how do I make my business sustainable so it's successful into the future across all of these aspects? Uh, and that's and when we talk about all of those aspects, it's about, you know, like I said, your people, your culture, you know, and, and, and your carbon footprint because, you know, sustainability isn't just about, I think when we hear environmental sustainability is different to business sustainability. Does that make sense? It's actually very, very clear, Mark. Uh, I, I will do the wrap-up, but I can't repeat exactly like that. So while I'm writing it down, I, when I go into that, I will ask you to read that again. It's great. So I will, when I go in there, I said, Mike, can you read, <laughs> please read it again? That is perfect. Yeah, because yeah, it is when people think of sustainability, and this is why we ask the question. They're going to go. They're going to default to environmental sustainability, yeah, no, no, no. but that. it is so much more than that. Mm. Yeah, so it, it, it is. It's it's all of that. So just like literally, just have to think: How is my business going to be sustainable into the future and have impact on both my culture, my people? And the environment, it's a combination effect. But you got to look at everything because the word sustainable has been around forever. You know what that means to a degree. It's just when you frame it sustainability and then uh, we start, then the complexity, I think what's complicating it for everyone is, you know, ESG, the ESG and then sustainability. And I get confused too. I, I, I didn't even know about ESG until like a couple of years ago and I still don't really know what it means, but I can, I'll have a go at it. We are going to ask you the question, yeah. though. But I also think I think this is where clever marketing has come into play because when we see sustainability, we are so eyes associate it with green, right? And I'm sure a lot of people do. So by default, my brain goes environment, you know. So it's very cleverly marketed out there towards that. That's why you know it's really important for everyone listening that it is so much more than that. But so can I ask a question though? Yeah. Because sustainability is not only about green. I'm a small business owner. It, it, it sounds expensive, Mike. It sounds expensive for my business to even be thinking about it. Uh, is this right? Is this right? You know, no. I don't think so at all. I think I think a lot of a lot of what you talk we talk about in sustainability is um, how do I treat my staff with care and kindness? <laughs> how do I pay them fairly? How do I make sure I have a very inclusive um, business? You know, how do I make sure I have women in leadership roles that are equal, you know, to males? Um, you know, these are not things that cost you anything. These are just behavioural things that you just need to change in the way that you do things. Um, and then when you go into the environmental aspect, yes, that's where things might change a little bit. You go, well, how do I um, think about my energy company and, and, and reducing my emissions? You know, do I switch energy companies, which is not actually expensive. It's just smart, you know, moving away from companies like Energy Australia who in their, in their, in their name say they're Australian but are not they're owned by, you know, um, they're, they're owned by 100% owned by a Chinese company. Nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But you sort of wonder, is it really the business that I want to be taking my energy from when I could be going to a, a, an example, Red Energy, which is an Australian company owned by the government, um, but Australian company, it's 100% renewable. It costs you no more <laughs> to be with them. Um, but 
there's little things like that where you get your paper from, your toilet paper, things like that. Like, you know, who gives a crap? It's an amazing company and, you know, they don't chop trees down to make your toilet paper. Um, so as opposed to when you go to Woolies and Coles and you see all those sorbent toilet tissues that my mum I know hoards by the, the, the barrel, um, you know, it's wrong. And it's just we just got to educate people. So it's actually not – I don't think it's more expensive at all. I think it's actually just smarter. And you, you, we need the, – the biggest problem we have is that we're not educated, none of us. We just don't know. So that's my job. I'm, that's what I'm trying to do now is try and help people understand that in order to be sustainable – uh, it's it's actually not expensive, and actually anyone and everyone can do it tomorrow in a really really simple way by simply changing the brands and the companies they associate with um, by to going to brands that are doing good versus ones doing not so good. Uh, and this is how we create major change across the country and across the world by highlighting those businesses and brands that are doing brilliant. Um, versus not. That's how change happens. Um, and you do it on scale. So it's very simple. It's not actually complicated, but it's a, there's a really big educational piece that needs to happen. And when you actually digest that, it is actually re- potentially reducing the cost of your business. So let, let's just talk about something, diversity, inclusions. You know, if you are a small business and you think that men, the only one that have the answers, then it becomes very expensive if, your salon, for example, if you have a business of a salon where uh, 80% of your employee are women and you only want to get opinion from men, then you have to hire outside, yet the answers could be, the answers will be there. Your ability to be sustainable, your ability to be inclusive, to, to accept diversity, women in leadership, treating employee fairly, for example. This this uh, it makes sense when you think about it. yeah that's all part of sustainability and that's all about change right see that's all societal change you know a lot of thing a lot of things um actually one major thing that business owners don't realize now once upon a time business owners used to interview um, staff and interview new 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 staff coming on board the difference now is that businesses are interviewed by those staff so think about that because you got such a lack of employees locally now. You got there's, there's just not enough people for, for, especially if we're talking to, you know, cafe owners who would know if there's on, on this call, anyone in the hospitality industry, I know what they're doing at scale because they're actually now paying people up front in order to get them in. So you think about it. If I'm a young 21-year-old, uh, someone who's desperate to own my own restaurant one day, and I want to go get a great job in a, in, a, in a good restaurant, I'm actually interviewing the restaurant and the owner of that restaurant to see if they adhere to my purpose, my values, my beliefs, right, because there's 20 of them offering me jobs <laughs> right now. So remember that as a business owner, you're not really in charge of that individual as in control of them anymore they're in control of you you should be fighting for them so you need to adapt and change your business to lure them in and you need to tick off all these boxes you know uh everything related to inclusivity uh you know diversity you've got to start thinking about appropriate pay bonuses structures like what are the benefits that employees are going to be getting over 
the your 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 competitor down the street. So this is the new world we're in now, um, where you know the youth of the you know you got sort of millennials, but you got now even go right down to Gen Z. The, I call I call Gen Z. My daughter's eleven. Uh, she's forensic. Like she's she's eleven years old and she researches everything already. So she won't buy or want to participate with a business that's actually doing harm, harming humans, harming people, slave labor, or harming the environment. She won't buy a product. So, if, you know, she's 11. She loves kind of, you know, all of care products. Um, and she will only participate or buy from someone who uses recycled packaging, um, you know, as 100% biodegradable or whatever it is. Uh, it doesn't hurt the ocean, animals, sea creatures. And they're 11. And if they're doing that at the age of 11, look at what you're dealing with. Look at the people you're trying to hire. So if you're not, and they're actually younger, right, so they're not ready for the workforce. But if you're not, as a business, have a plan for everything that I just mentioned, you're actually in trouble because a lot of businesses are. And that's part of sustainability. It's part of having uh, all your ducks in a row ticking off all those boxes, having a plan and selling the awesome candidates sitting in front of you um, on all the things that you, they can benefit from working for you and being a part of your organisation. Such, such an interesting way when you flip it, isn't it, you know, where they are in charge as opposed to the leader, anyone listening today, you know, that, yeah, they're the owner of the business, but it's a different way of how employees need to be treated. And it is so true, Mike, everything you've just said. Can I just ask before we go on, we mentioned the acronym ESG earlier, just so the audience knows, I've marked it here because even, you know, I know, I mean, I've looked it up, but it, I hear it, I read about it, but it's never really explained. Can you just touch on that? What is ESG? It, look, ESG means environmental, social and governance. And, you know, I, when, first time I heard it, I didn't really understand what it meant, but it's essentially, a, it's, a, it's a higher level, right? So it's a set of standards essentially right so if you look at it as a set of standards and a measure for an organization to adhere to as a benchmark right so i've i've like i said it's complicated but it takes into consideration like an entire territory an entire country our national goals you know the government is setting goals that the globe is setting when it comes to environment social right um but at the end of the day, like I really leave ESG to the experts. Um, it's 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 a, it's above my pay grade. But but if you if you dig back into it, so if you come back a layer and go, um, let's just say a company like Coles, they have a massive ESG strategy. And if you go on their website, you can actually go straight to their website and you'll see download ESG strategy. Within that, it's accessible for all of us. It'll tell you what they are doing in order to meet the standards and, and what are they proposing they do to change their way, whether it's helping people, staff, everything I talked about, inclusivity, diversity, all it's all part of it, but then also really big from an environmental point of view, like what are they doing supply chain end-to-end -end, uh, to reduce their emissions, um, you know, and then governance, right, which will be like how is all of that governed and so they adhere to it and they hit their targets and they meet those um, criteria. So it, it, it's also connected to shareholders, right, because a company like Coles or any big brand that has shareholders and major investors, 
they need to sort of see what the company's ESG strategy is in order to feel comfortable to invest in um, because they want to know where they're headed because if they're a company that hasn't great doesn't have a really solid ESG strategy um, and they're doomed right if they're if they're headed in the wrong direction a, a big investor is not going to want to be involved and they also shareholders have control of that these days um, which is even more so now greenwashing you would have heard that term quite a lot boards now and shareholders are demanding companies share their full ESG strategies right with everybody so they can see what's going on because they they don't want to they don't want to be a part of a brand that has that is doing any form of greenwashing um, so that that's if that if that makes sense let me know uh, but that's essentially where I see it and what I've had the professionals explain it to me the expert sorry um, it sort of sits at that higher level, but it is a standard and a benchmark for big companies to kind of, I guess, measure themselves against and adhere to and give themselves a guideline and a benchmark. Um, that's higher order, right? It's quite is there any? Is it on top of that, Mike, is there anything smaller businesses have that they kind of, I, I guess where I'm going is, you know, do you envisage that, all small, medium, regardless, let's not go the bigger ones, the smaller ones, will eventually need to do something similar or at least showcase what they're doing. Do you think that's the path we're going think, down? Yeah, I think I think it's actually going to, in order for us to really meet, uh, and when we talk specifically to environment, you know, really for Australia will never hit the targets that we've set, that COP are setting and globally that are setting to reduce emissions globally, right, unless we all do it together. You know, it's not about let's put all the onus on these big companies that have been polluting and creating problems forever. Yes, they re- are required to change. But if you're small, you have an opportunity to change a lot faster because you're smaller, right? I always use that analogy around, you know, a big tanker. You know, we've all heard it. How long does it take a tanker to turn around? Like five miles. I mean, sure, I'm sure they've got technology now that spins them around really quickly, right? But but the reality is it takes them legacy brands, big companies that have been operating for a long time and been making the same product for, for decades and decades. For them to change, it's really hard because they've been, you know, think about their infrastructure and all of that. Whereas if you're a small company, um, you know, if you're running a, a building firm, you know, start looking into uh, how can I become, you know, really start thinking about sustainability, start really analysing and researching concrete. Concrete's one of the world's largest, um, has one of the world's largest carbon footprint. No one even knows that. Just to produce concrete and steel in those buildings is ridiculous, right? So start looking at companies that are innovative, that are creating new forms of concrete that have less carbon emissions. Then you do that and if you can, you might have to charge your new um you know, your new clients a little bit more. But when you market yourself, you go, hey, we're a company that uses carbon, you know, zero carbon concrete or whatever it is. See what I mean? It becomes a tool because someone like me won't buy from that building firm. I'm not going to go to that building firm because my whole objective in life is to become more sustainable, right? I want to look after the environment. So I'm going to automatically eliminate all of these businesses that are not focused on it. So when you start changing as a small business and picking up these little, these, well, they're big things, but um, even smaller things like, you know, whatever it is, you're just using better brands and better products that are better for the environment or better for people. 
uh, market those. So your changes that you're doing in your business, you should then tell everybody about it because people like my daughter and young demographic are researching you and won't participate with you unless you are doing it. So don't fall behind. Don't wait for the big guys. Just get onto it. It's something that has to happen. You know, I learned from this, just from this, uh, just to give you a little context, Mike. So the business that I lead currently just recently sold to a global giant called Signify, which is formerly known, formerly known Philips Lighting, part of Philips. So, so they branded as Signify. And as a business, now I can say we, uh, we are in the top companies in the world with the highest ESG writings, ESG writings. And I, I, I listen to what you say because I only been with the current business for the last five months and the effort globally around diversity, inclusion, pay equality, culture, end-to-end products, sustainable manufacturing, like we we innovate where we now producing product from use fishing nets and usable CD. So we actually buy old CDs, crush it, and make it a 3D printing as a light fittings. And 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 that's in the bigger scale, right? Because the company run globally. But I now I even I understand. But, uh, but- it's so simple, Gus. Like if you're a coffee shop, right, and you've been making coffee the same way and operating for the last however 10 years the same way, it's very simple. Look at your supply chain and go, where's my coffee coming from? <laughs> right? There's companies out there producing incredibly sustainable coffee, beans, right? So think about that. You go, cool. Then what happens to the coffee beans, all that stuff that you knock out of the coffee beans or the, the, the waste? Where does that go? When you stick that in the bin, it's terrible for the environment. So then invest in someone that comes and picks it up and turns it into compost. You might have a garden. The coffee cups that you have, coffee cups are really confusing. I don't know where to put what in which bin. There's coffee cups that are completely, like the whole thing, even the lid and the little, and the cup all go into the recycling thing. It says it on the top. I didn't know that existed, but it's educating people. So coffee beans from a sustainable supplier, uh, the way you get rid of your coffee waste Again, it's creating a circular economy of loop um, and then your coffee cups. And then you do that and then you tell everyone about it on your website, on the front of your shop, you know, on the front of the coffee machine, on your Instagram page. Go, we have just invested in dot, dot, dot. I guarantee you you'll get more people coming buying from you straight away. It is really interesting. Mike, you mentioned just a bit earlier about this greenwashing now, um, I know we've had a chat about it because, you know, we've seen, uh, uh, you know, a clothing giant, you know, say that they're doing their bit for the environment and then they're accused of greenwashing, you know, with all this marketing and things. Can you just let our audience know what what, what is this term greenwashing? And I guess how do we kind of steer away from this? Because no one wants to, you know, say they're creating exactly what you just said, you know, this sustainable or this uh, recyclable coffee cup with a lid and the tray. I didn't even know that all of it wasn't. Yeah, you're right. You don't even know what bin to put it in, you know, but then you don't want to be accused of this greenwashing because this has become this word that you see in headlines quite a lot lately. Yeah. Look, greenwashing is, is a really big problem, but thankfully it's still going to be a problem for a little while, but thankfully the government's cracking down on it um, quite extensively. The ACCC now is actually demanding 
um, it's really scrutinizing advertising and marketing, which is brilliant um, uh, in terms of that. And there's a lot of companies globally being sued right now, big, big companies being sued for. It's people like, you know, I, I go back to people like me who can come up with a really clever headline and positioning for a brand that says they're doing good for the planet, but I don't really know they're not. Um, they've, been, they've told me they can do good. So I've written a really line that says, oh, you are, but I don't really know all the bad they do. So greenwashing is really where a company is, in a way, they do one little thing, right, that's really, really good, but the rest of their business is really negative. And then they actually throw that little thing like a shield in front of their company, right, and their business, and they promote the shit out of that, excuse the language, um, and that essentially is sort of going, oh, but they're really, really good, okay? But the reality is that the back end, it's not great. It's like a, fa- it's like a, a decoy. And then it goes deeper when they use really clever language saying, you know, that it's something some, someone, I can't remember what brand it was, um, recently got done in the UK where they created a, an advertising campaign that said we're, we're, we're better for the planet. And someone complained about that. They went and dug underneath the, into the communications and then into the product and realised that they can't say that because it's actually not better for the planet. Um, and they got, they got pulled. All their communication got pulled. So tens of millions of dollars worth of advertising got pulled and also they get fined quite significantly. And this is now happening on a global scale, which is brilliant, um, and it's actually forcing brands to actually really start to change because um, they have been using these little strategies and tactics um, to kind of get out there and say, oh, we're doing really good. Major corporations will even go and buy, a very, they'll acquire a really great green company and they'll use that on their website as a way to go, but look at who we've got. Me And, so, and, and I'd buy that. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Like I didn't realise you, you own that brilliant green company. But what's happening now is owners of those companies are not selling, right? It's like Patagonia. You know, you saw what Patagonia did recently. I don't know if you saw globally, but you know, it's companies like that that will never sell to the big corporations because they know what they're actually up to. Um, so this is what's going to force the change. We're kind of flanking all these, you know, big, robust companies, brands, categories that are being kind of really not doing great and that are failing to change. You know, they need to change. They need to change quickly. Uh, so the greenwashing aspect is what we're actually restricting them from communicating, which is essentially what needs to happen. Uh, at the same time, we have to be really mindful that there are some really big companies out there that are genuinely doing some great things and are changing, and we have to allow them to communicate those things, um, you know, and in the appropriate way. So thankfully governments are coming in. There's lots of lawyers around, which is great. And they're actually kind of making it really complicated uh, for these brands and they have to adhere to a lot of stuff. So I, I think the next few years you're going to start to see some, some very different communications coming out from, from companies. So greenwashing is where it's just a little bit of a decoy to lure you back into the, to the bigger brand 
a little bit like when, uh, you know, hopefully, <laughs> I don't know how far this goes, but a little bit like I go back to like McDonald's when they put the salad bar in there. Um, remember, I worked on that back in early 2000s. That was a brilliant idea. Let's put a salad bar in McDonald's because Super Size Me came out and destroyed their brand um, by saying it was really evil. And that was a pretty tough show. But, you know, you went, oh, I've, Macca's is really bad for you or fast food's really bad for you. Oh, they've got salad now. And so you go in to go buy a salad because you've been lured in. As soon as you get there, you look at the salad, you go, great. Can I help you, sir? Yeah, I'll have two Big Macs, quarter pound, and a large drink. <laughs> and actually, I'll have an apple. Actually, I'll get an apple. Um, and, you know, that wasn't really – I don't think it was their strategy to do that, but it's sort of – that's that'll give you an idea of what some companies can be doing where – they create a diversion. It's like a mirage over here of language and things that they promise you. Meanwhile, the machine's just chugging away, you know, in the background. And come back to what you talk about sustainability, not ESG. Integrity can cost money at the end, right? This green washing is actually you being not integral to or the honest. story. To do. To, or being not honest and, and then how can yeah. your business being sustainable if you get charged by the government to pay like i mean you can go bankrupt in there if you yeah if you honestly i think if you can just be really transparent like i love brands that actually say do you know what we have been responsible for creating some of the you know worst like impact on the planet or on people but we're changing we've realized our wrongs and we know it's bad, finally, we're changing. That sense of honesty and transparency is actually trust, right? So if you don't have my trust, I'm never going to buy from you. But if you tell me that you've done something wrong and you own up to that, um, but tell me what you're doing to make it right, and then I will trust you again. I actually will have a lot of respect for you for being honest about where you're at as a business. So um, and we're all changing. We all have to change. None of us are perfect at all. We're far from. But we're all gradually changing and we kind of have to do it together, uh, help each other and just be transparent about it. Um, but if we lie, we're going to get caught out. It's not. It's, you're, it's Businesses are done. It's not. There's too many consumers out there that have, that have got their eye on you now. Um, so it's not, it's not the lawyers that you have to worry about. It's actually people like me. That people like my daughter that you have to worry about because they're like actually investigating you. Yeah. And I'm looking at the time. I'm going to throw in one more question because I just want to put a painter's hat on, Mike, and just ask, you know, I'm a painter who's been in business for 25 years, right? And I guess I, it's not that I don't want to change. I just don't know how to lead my, you know, uh, business to be more sustainable. What is your final piece of advice to them? What would be just something that they can do. They're listening now. They haven't done it. Maybe they are a bit stubborn, but they also don't know what to do. What is the piece of advice you'd leave them with? I, I think, first of all, if you don't want to change, I don't believe people don't want to change even if they're stubborn, especially if they're older because they have to consider what they're leaving their planet to for their children, right? And I think you need to think, what you're doing there because your kids are going to move on and live on beyond you. Um, so I think everyone sort of has a they, – they're not bad people. They, they want to change. But I think for a painter, again, very similar to like the coffee um, the coffee thing, right, is just go, I'm 
I've been using toxins. I've been washing my paint down the drain. I've done that. It's terrible. I've stuck paint cans in rubbish bins because I was lazy. And I don't do it anymore, but, you know, because that's what I knew. I didn't know any other way. Um, you know, we do all these negative things that are pollutants and that are, are terrible, but just find and research and learn the things that you can do because those things, exactly as I said before, that if I see an ad for a painter, I'm going to ask what paints, and I know the painters on the call, they get asked these questions. Do they use environmentally friendly paints? Um, and if they're lying that they say they are, they're greenwashing. So you're greenwashing when you lie and say, yes, you are, because you think how's that consumer going to even know what's in that can? They're not going to know, right? I can mix the paint from one can to another and I've got a, an array of brands of cans that are, saying they're green and I can swap them, right? That's where pe people go to those depths, right? So I just think, you know, be really transparent, be really honest, research, you know, use paints that are good for the environment, uh, use products that are good for the environment um, and don't pollute, but use then these changes that you've made to market yourself um, and you will, you will be better because, Maybe certain demographic won't ask you these questions because um, they don't care and they're not educated enough. But I'm telling you now that the edgy, the level of education that's going to be coming out into society over the next few years is going to be so big that everyone's going to understand everything about everything, no matter what language you you speak, no matter what culture you come from, um, no what, no matter how much you know. We're all going to find out about it and everyone's going to talk about it and it's going to be the thing where people go, oh, so you got your house painted. Who do you use? Did they have these types of paint? I don't know. Um, you know, and it's just going to become part of society that because we're going to want to wear the badge, right? I'm going to want to wear the badge on my chest that says, hey, I use this sustainability painting company just like I use these sustainability builders to build my house, just like I you know, buy my coffee from around the corner from the company that's really sustainable and gives back to the community because they're the badges now. They're my defense that I'm doing something. So even if I haven't changed anything here, I'm doing something because I'm consuming from those businesses that are doing good. And that's how easy it is. See what I mean? You, you don't have to really change much in your own home. You just have to consume from brands and businesses that are doing good and you're already making change. What a brilliant answer for everyone to follow. Uh, I am looking at time. Gus, I'm going to hand it over to you to wrap up. Good luck. We've learned a lot, so <laughs> good luck with the no wrap problem. up. No problem. And, Mike, just remember, I will ask you about the, uh, the description of sustainability in business uh, in the middle, all right? So, so I hope I do you justice here. You start, uh, we start talking about how to be creative. And you say, to be creative, you need to understand your purpose. Your passion for your purpose will push your mind to be creative. Be open for help. Be curious. Be passionate to chase your purpose. You need to adapt to society around you. By doing that, you're pre preparing a performing business. If you want to be successful in business, communicate your business. Be open to communicate your business. Then we talk about sustainability in business, which I will hand over to you again for my for our audience, the descriptions of sustainability in business. So sustainability, just again, ask yourself the question, what does my business need to do to ensure long-term sustainable impact 
across staff, clients, culture, diversity, inclusion, innovation in my product, in my services, um, and also importantly, impact you know on the environment uh, and my carbon footprint. Thank you. And the rest of the conversations, we all learn that sustainability is not only about being green. It's about preparing your business for the long journey of your success. Because when you look after your people, when you being honest, when you have integrity, when you have diversity, inclusion, when you you involve ideas, you become a performing business. Mike, thank you so much for donating your time for Leader Talk. Uh, we learn a lot. I learn a lot. I'm sure Natalie and our audience as well. Uh, you know, thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been great um, chatting with you guys. Uh, Hope that was helpful and, you know, happy to happy to help. You know, if anyone needs anything, you know, I always just flick me a note. Um, I don't know. I'm happy to share details, you know, emails and things like that. And, you know, my website, you can go to my website, uh, sustainabilityrevolution.co, and very happy to answer any questions at all. Um, it's what I do. You can find me on LinkedIn um, just under that name. Um, I, I do kind of talk a lot on there about stuff. Um, but yeah, here to help. Um, any questions at all? Amazing. Thank you so much, Mike. Gus, I also learned a lot. It's been such a, I mean, we could have gone on for ages. We've actually gone over time, but thank you so much, My Mike. Pleasure. It's been a pleasure chatting yeah, you to you. Too. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For more information on Leader Talk or for some great resources to help your business grow, check out brainiac.com.au. Bye, everyone. Leader Talk. 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 Leader Talk.